Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you. I will fight for you. And I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you. Unfiltered talk and the hardcore truth. 
Mega, mega, mega.
Sauter. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sauter Show. Happy Thursday. I hope your week is going very well and all accordingly. It's been productive, I hope. I hope it's been fun. I hope uh, every, you're enjoying every, every second of it. Um, sorry that we were not on the air yesterday. I was at uh, a big event for my good friend, uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Uh, it went very well. We had uh, Blacksford Trump, who flew up from Florida to officially endorse him. We had a lot of other big politicians and big notable names at the event. Um, Omar Navarro was there, who's facing Maxine Waters in California. Uh, and uh, the other, another guy was there who will be uh, uh, facing um, Pocahontas in Massachusetts. And by the way, both of those gentlemen uh, will be on the show next week. So they are, they are both um, – you know, uh, doing very well right now. So they definitely have a chance to beat Mad Max or uh, or Pocahontas. So I mean, that's a, that's a big dream come true. And they're both in, they're both also endorsed by Sheriff Joe. And uh, last night was a blast, though I tell you, it was so much fun. So many different organizations came out. Um, I know a lot of my li- I know you know some of my li- some of my listeners uh, were at the event last night, knew about the event. Um, but yeah, it was great and it was fun. Um, and, uh, just such a, such a, uh, uh, you know, a, um, supportive and dedicated and passionate crowd. So, you know, such a, such a, such a great, a great time, great time. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a great show on Tuesday. Um, we got a lot established, a lot addressed, a lot talked about. Um, we had, we had a we had great guests on, um, I, obviously I got my co-host with me. I got Valerie with me out of Maryland. I also got Josh with me out of Ohio. How are you guys? Great. Thank you. How's it going, Rory? Doing good, man. Doing good. Um, is it loud enough? Can you guys hear? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, so yeah, guys, we have a huge show today. Uh, Today's show, it's uh, oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and contributor to the Daily Caller, Clash Daily, Live Zet, Daily Surge in the Hill. Dan Perkins will be joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, having him, as always. We love having him on. Uh, economics expert, public policy analysis, writer for townhall.com, Newsmax, Live Zet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler will be calling in as well uh, to be joining us. So we're very excited uh, to hear from him. Um, big day today, though. President Trump uh, delivered remarks on trade in Granite City. Uh, President Trump and his daughter Ivanka also attended a workforce development roundtable in Piosta, Iowa. Um, they're doing a lot of time manufacturing over there. So uh, it's, I mean, the economy is booming better than ever before. Uh, I mean, there is really nothing for anyone to complain about, especially these people on the left. I mean, we are living in the best and best of times. Um, you know, I do, I do want to play a quick clip, though. Uh, about the left and just about how how far they've gone, um, you know, with their Trump derangement syndrome. I mean, like we've all said many times, the guy could cure cancer, and they would say, "What about AIDS? What about what about diabetes? 
You know, it, it, it's never it's never enough, and it will never it never will be. I mean, we've been seeing these attacks forever, constantly. And you know what I noticed, which is great, and I announce this every episode. Well, not every episode, but I've said this many times. The more people attack Trump, the more popular he gets. The more he wins. The more the more the more momentum he, he gets. So, I mean, it's it's just a win-win. Um, but I I do want to play uh, uh, Tucker. Um, we obviously have this big thing going on right now. I mean, so many different things. I'm going to get to the Michael Cohen tapes um, in a second here, um, you know, with what he's done leaking and, you know, recording. Um, with, you know, obviously you don't – in the state of New York, by law, you don't need permission uh, to record someone uh, without their consent. Uh, so that that's that's by law in New York, but we will get to that, uh, which I'm very excited to get to. Uh, but I do want to get to another thing right now, which is um, Tucker and Gowdy were talking earlier, and with all the issues with the DOJ and the FBI and everything that's going on with this fake Russia scandal, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to play that clip in a second, but what I what I first want to play is Tucker defining, I mean the liberals perfectly how they've gone so off the rails one three good evening and welcome to Tucker carlson tonight last week we noted that it seems a little strange a little odd that former cia director john brennan still has a high level security clearance he doesn't work for the government anymore he's a cable news yapper who spends a lot of his life yelling at people on twitter Brennan is also a political extremist who, if you listen carefully, seems unbalanced. If John Brennan gets a security clearance, then why not the homeless guy talking to himself on the bus? That seemed like a fair question. Apparently, the White House agreed with that. Yesterday, the administration... That's the wrong clip, guys. Sorry. It's this one. Shit. One four. For more than 100 years, the Democratic Party was organized around the interests of ordinary Americans. Democrats ran campaigns on things like higher wages, better working conditions against the banks that crushed their voters with debt. A lot of Democratic ideas didn't always work. Some were silly, but their focus was always clear. American citizens were the party's priority, and that is no longer the case. To the modern Democratic Party, Americans are an afterthought. Try to find a Democrat running this year, for example, on the opioid crisis or high energy prices, the collapse of public schools, the decline of the middle class. Hard to find one. Democrats are bored by these topics. What interests them is power. In order to win and maintain power, Democrats understand they need reliable new voters, voters who will support them obediently without making difficult demands like a higher standard of living. That's why the Democratic Party suddenly supports open borders so fervently. Immigration is really the only issue that matters to them because packing the electorate is the only way they can regain control of this country. Their goal is clear, and they will do or say anything to achieve it. Here, for example, is the governor of New York likening the Trump administration to Islamic terrorists for the crime of daring to enforce federal immigration law. Watch. They are on a jihad to deport as many people as they can who they believe are not in the United States legally who they believe are not in the United States legally. Pretty easy to determine whether someone's here legally or not. And it wasn't that long ago that leading Democrats, like Bill Clinton, for example, argued in public that our country should deport illegal immigrants. They're here illegally, after all. They're breaking our law. 
Now, Democrats claim that non-citizens, even illegal ones, have a right to vote in our elections. That is happening in San Francisco and in parts of the state of Maryland. By the 2020 election, it'll be happening in many other places. That's guaranteed. Now, you'd think congressional Republicans would be upset about this. Allowing illegals to occupy and run our country makes a mockery of citizenship. It's terrible for America, and it's a death sentence for the Republican Party. But nope, Republicans on the Hill seem okay with this. Here's one example. In 2014, the Obama administration changed the rules so that anybody claiming a threat from gang violence or domestic abuse could get asylum in the United States. The effect was to allow pretty much anybody to permanently enter this country provided they supplied the right story, and many, many did. Of course, that was precisely the point, to open the borders without saying so. Well, earlier this summer, Attorney General Jeff Sessions reversed the Obama rule. Now House Republicans somehow, for some reason, are teaming up with Democrats to stop Sessions from doing that. Just yesterday, they tacked an amendment onto an appropriations bill in the House that would preserve the asylum rights of anybody who claims to be fleeing gang violence. That change would nullify any effort to secure our southern border. Mexico and Central America have plenty of gang violence. Now, all 150 million people who live there can cite that fact as justification to move here legally and stay permanently. When they get here, they'll find Democrats eager to give them the right to vote. So there you have it. There you have it. Um, I do want to welcome our special guest, though, oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and a contributor to Daily Caller, Clash Daily, Live Vet, Daily Surge, and The Hill. Dan Perkins, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good. great to have you here. Um, real, real quick, um, Josh, I want to get your thoughts on uh, on the opening video, and then Valerie, and then uh, Dan. I, I Dan, we have a lot to talk about. Okay. Yeah, um, you know, Rory, the I don't understand. This is the biggest thing I got to those clips right towards the end when I was talking about the Republicans and Democrats teaming up. I don't listen. I want asylum for those people that need it just as much as everybody else does. But the idea that has been formulated over the real past, real quick. Real yeah, quick, I just, want to pause you. I just want to pause you real quick. I compare it to the same kind of thing as uh, citizens abusing welfare and taking advantage of the government system, like what you're about to – what you're kind of trying Absolutely. to say, but keep going. Yeah, I mean, you know, all the way back, it's hundreds of years of, um, you know, this idea that it's our job to take care – The gover- it's the government's job to take care of, of basically be a charitable organization. I don't believe that it is, and I definitely am 100% sure that you can make the argument that the government is supposed to be a charitable organization to its own citizens, but then acting like we're also supposed to take care of other countries, I, it's not only absurd within the – I mean, what's the point of being a citizen at that point, but also to the extent of it's, it's basically taking the money from taxes that should be used to help our country and to pay for things in our country and to pay for things outside. If you want to talk about the biggest way that money is being, you know, you want to talk about tariffs and whatnot, let's stop paying for stuff. Let's stop paying for other people's stuff overseas, uh, helping people overseas, helping people that aren't citizens. Let's start paying for our own citizens uh, and giving them stuff, you know, rather than giving people in other countries or people that aren't citizens stuff. Yeah, very. I mean, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Very well said. And Valerie, go ahead. 
So I'm trying to figure out how this got through Congress with the Republicans, you know, majority. You're, te- you're telling understand. me. <laughs> I mean, this is like, this is such a, not a, a conservative uh, view of immigration. And here we are, we're the majority and we're allowing things like this to happen. I don't even understand how it got through. Maybe, you know, they try to force it at the end, but we have the, we have the, you know, we have the majority. So why did our why did Republican people allow this to happen? I don't understand. I know, and, and here's here's an issue that I have. You you I mean, we have so many rhinos. We have so many in the Republican Party, but very few Democrats ever you, you vote Republican. Or, or, I mean, there's not really a name like Rhino for Democrats because Democrats pretty much stay Democrats. They don't, they're not, they're not these, these fake, uh, you, you know, you know what I mean? So it, that's, that kind of, uh, you know, baffles me in, in a way. And it's kind of, kind of hard to under, understand a little bit. I mean, I know that Democratic Party is beyond corrupt, but at the same time, um, when you said the majority, I mean, we have we have all these rhinos that go against our values. <laughs> I agree with you, but the thing is, this sounded like when Tucker was speaking, it sounded like a very liberal bill. It didn't even seem yeah. like rhino. I mean, ha- yeah. sometimes I'm okay with some of the rhino stuff, but this was beyond. Yeah. Like this was a democratic bill to let people come oh, into yeah. our country and use these excuses. You know, I oh, mean, yeah. anybody could use an excuse like that. Dan, well said, Valerie. Dan, go. Dan, go ahead. I know you want to speak on this one, Dan. I mean, you've probably written on this. I have, as a matter of fact, Roy. I have written on this one. Um, let me give you a statistic. So Rasmussen did a, a poll of Democrat, likely Democratic voters, only Democratic voters, and this gives real you quick, a sense. Before you say, before you off topic, real quick. I do want to announce something. A new Wall Street Journal NBC poll came out today. It says 88% of Americans approve of Trump's economy. I know it's a little off topic, but I wanted to mention that. But I, I repeat, 88% of Americans approve of Trump's economy. And that's Wall Street Journal NBC poll. That's pretty impressive. But uh, continue, Dan. So Rasmussen did a poll of registered Democratic likely voters. Yeah. And they asked the question, how do you feel about illegals voting? 53% of Democrats didn't see a problem. Oh, my God. 53% of Democrats didn't see a problem to allow illegals to vote. Now, in San Francisco, they passed uh, legislation at the city level that's going to allow Non-citizens. This is what, it doesn't say illegals in the legislation. It's worse than that. It says non-citizens will be able to vote in the midterm election, quote, for school board officials. Now, the logic in the, in the San Francisco papers and media is that these people have children who were born in the United States who are legal, who are in the school system. And therefore, it is in the best interest of the children to allow the parents who are illegal to vote 
in the election for the school board. Now, the question that I've written about is, what are you going to do? Are you going to allow people to go to the polls who have no no citizenship identification, although they might have a driver's license in California? And that's going to be the basis for them to register to vote. But how are you going to control, supposedly, that they can only vote in the school board elections? You're going to have a separate ballot. It's going to have to be hand-marked. And by the way, again, showing you the stupidity of the Democrats, have they thought about the possibility and the reluctance in the part of illegals to go into a government facility, put down their name and address and phone number to register to vote, Another on right. a national on an, on a, re, a record. Uh, I I think that the, the turnout in in San Francisco of illegals to vote is going to be very very low because they will not, with Trump in power, want to risk the possibility of being identified as people who have either overstayed their visa or yeah. have failed to show up for a court date. And Dan, and Dan, you've you've been in the mainstream, you know, media for a long time, many years, and you've written for many big, big companies, you know, big big news organizations, and right. and you you know you're very you're very familiar with a lot of the voting um, situations and the voter fraud. You've written about it before, especially with these illegal alien things. Um, Devin Nunes, you know. It called today for a ban on ele- electronic uh, voting voting machines, which I think is absolutely needs to happen because you can rig, you can fix these voting machines like you could a, a machine in a casino, in my opinion. And then a lot of people believe that. I mean, these machines are not 100% accurate. It's just like any device. Well, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, in all due respect, I I would disagree with you. And the reason I would disagree with you is I would use the former president, Barack Obama, when before the election, he so eloquently articulated how difficult it is to rig an election or interfere in an election because everything is so decentralized. Yeah, it's possible that in a, in a particular polling place, there may be an opportunity for an illegal or people to, to do certain activities. But remember, and, and this is the thing that I think we've got to rem- should remember, that in the case of a, a polling place, a voting place, uh-huh. There are representatives of both parties or multiple parties who work in that polling place for the purposes of trying to make sure that the election is at least fair. Now but we also know take into consideration real quick, take into consideration. I don't know if you read have read this report and it was confirmed, is that George Charos owns a owns a company that manufacture, manufactures and delivers these voting machines. I don't know if you were aware he's well, a big part of but, – But, again, to be fair, he doesn't control 100% of the market. Nobody controls 100% of the market. In fact, 
they purposely do not allow any one particular company on a national basis to get any significant percentage where they could, in fact, influence the vote. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. Do you remember last year when President Trump uh, appointed Vice President Pence to lead up a commission to determine about voter fraud? Yeah. And it was shut down, shut down months later. And the reason why the Trump administration gave the reason for why it was shut down is that they got no cooperation from any states anywhere. Yeah, Red nobody wanted to give up. Nobody wanted to give their voting records up. That's right. So I, I have no doubt that in Cook County, Chicago, there are all kinds of voter fraud that's been going on for years, and other parts of the now, country. Let me give you an example of voter fraud. Let's go to Alabama special election. Roy Moore versus Doug Jones. You cannot tell me that that election was not rigged, and there were illegal votes, and there were. Roy Moore should have had that right away. Well, again, I yes, I can tell you um, because what I what I want to say is that um, as bad as Hillary's campaign in 2016 was, as terrible a candidate she was, Roy Moore was almost as bad, if not worse. Um, he uh he he when i say he was bad i want to i want to point out is that he did beat he the establishment up, guy though take take that into consideration i did i am taking it into a consideration but what i'm saying was in that particular election all of the forces against him outside the state pounced and spent millions of dollars and all the women who were accusing him of all these things, even though we had one. Yeah, where did they go? The the where did those women go, by the way? Where did they go? I can't. Uh, no reports. It's crickets. They disappeared. Ahead, I was disappeared. making jokes. Yeah. No, well, but I no, but you you make a point because let me take your point and and emphasize it one other way. Okay. Where are all yeah? The, go ahead. Where where are all the Democrats who were outraged at the children at the border? Where are they? They're not talking about yep. it anymore. Nope. Every week it's something new. I've said that so many times. They're always obsessed and focused on something else, whatever they can get Trump for, whatever they can blame on him, whatever they can say that will that Trump ruined their day. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Now let me let me give you two other pieces of information, which I wrote about. Rasmussen did a poll. And unlike what they typically do is where they ask a series of questions to find out attitudes, they basically yeah. asked one question. And yeah. they said, what are the most important things to you as a voter today in the United States? Immigration and the, the economy. The number, economy was number one. Immigration was number two. Two yeah. other issues. Two other issues. The response was. De minimis, meaning less than 1%. One of those right. was Russian collusion. Oh, yeah. But, yep. but, to, but to prove the point, which we were just talking about, the other one that was de minimis was global warming. 
Yeah. Now, what I don't understand, what I don't, I, I ask myself this question. I don't understand why, with all of the heat in so many areas, why isn't there an outrage by the environmental left about global warming? And the yeah. answer to the yeah. question is, Americans don't care about it anymore. And we had an administration who, for eight years, pounded the table about global warming. The Democrats now see it as an issue they can't run on. So it came off the table, just like the, the outrage of all the, of the 2,000 children who were separated from their parents. That issue has moved on. And what's happening is, that, and, and you, you, you hit it right on the point, they have a soup du jour every week, whatever the new story is going to be. The American people are beginning to wake up to the soup du jour. And again, I keep saying every time I'm on the radio and television, this election in November could see the demise of the Democratic Party as a legitimate oh, it's, party. It's in tarnished. No, tarnish is too kind a word. It has become so radicalized, so anti-mainstream. It's gone way too far to the left, don't you? I mean, it, it's so far left that it's it, that people are leaving it every second of every day because they're scared to death of where right. the Democratic Party's headed. Exactly, and so that they have it's communism. Have no, their agenda, their agenda, which was. Uh, greatly influenced by the recent uh, primary victory by Ms. Cortez. Now we have Democrats running all around the country talking about what she's talking about. That is elimination of ICE, elimination of Homeland Security, no border control. And she wants wants, um, free college for anybody who wants to go. The one yep. thing that I think the Democrats or the Republicans are not talking about, which is even more devastating to the Democrats than all the other things I just talked about. She wants to confiscate the profits of the people and the corporations and give them back to the government for redistribution. Jesus Christ. And here's another thing is that she, you know, is some is is one of the, I mean she is beyond nuts. I mean there there's not a word for this woman, and this woman, you know, is so went so far left that people in her party are starting to follow starting to follow, and it's helping. This is going to help the Republicans. This is helping us already, big time. I mean if they keep going no, off of Cortez's agenda, then they're screwed. Yeah. That's right. Now, let but me, they're let, not let thinking just that every, you know, she, she's in a liberal district in, in New York that, that's not that educated. Why would anyone copy her anywhere else in the country? It makes no sense because their elected is going to be completely different. It, it, but you're, what you're doing is you're missing a very important point. She took on an incumbent congressman who was so the fourth-ranking member – he was the right, fourth-ranking member in the leadership of the Democratic wait, Party in the House. Did, wait, it's right. not Joe Dumar. That's a basketball player. What's the guy's name she beat? Joe what? Joe something? Crowley. Crowley. Joe Cr- okay, yeah, Crowley. That's Crowley. right. Crowley. 
But here's but the he point. represented a very liberal uh, section of of New York. He did, but the reality is the man never campaigned. That's why he, he lost. Campaigned. He didn't. He, he didn't campaign. Complacent. But, but, but. What's going to happen? Do you know what he's going to do now? He's anybody well, in the room know what he's? Yeah, well, apparently here we go. He was supposed to take over Nancy Pelosi's job as Speaker of the House. Yeah, but 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 okay. So he's lost the Democratic nomination. I'm asking. Yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass you or put you on the spot. Do you know what he's going to do now? If you don't I, know, that's you know okay. What? I, I would not be surprised if he ran for president. Well, <laughs> he's not going to run for president. He's going to run as an independent and a write-in vote in the in the general election in November. Just and the feeling 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 he'll win like that. Yep, only I do. I think only Weikert is one doing that. Well, I'm just, I, I understand, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that he, he hasn't given up the fight. He realized he made a terrible mistake, and he lost the nomination, but he's not given up. So that he's talking about running as an independent in the, in the general election. Um, but remember, there's a couple of things more that I need to say about this. Yes, she I want to pause you. Hey, Dan, Dan, I want to pause you real quick, and then I'll let you keep going. I do want to welcome our next guest to the show, economics expert, public policy analysis, writer for townhall.com, Newsmax, live set, and a professor of finance at Stock a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Rory. How are you? Doing well. Good to have you on. Um, great to have you yep. here. Uh, Dan, continue though. What I was what I was <laughs> trying to say is that Cortez ran under the umbrella of the Democratic Party, but she calls herself a socialist. When Rasmussen look, did a poll, when look Rasmussen who her mentor did a poll, is, Bernie. She's going everywhere with Bernie. Yeah, yeah. So, so when she, um, Rasmussen did a, a poll of the Democratic people and asked them to define a socialist, over fifty one percent over fifty one percent knew that they liked what socialists stood for, but she didn't they didn't really know who they were or how to define them as individuals or as a philosophy so there's a great deal of confusion in the Democratic Party about Cortez and her agenda but i I believe that you're right, Roy, and I've written about this. That this is another way in which the Democrats will drive more and more people away from the Democratic Party yeah. and vote Republican in the in the in the general election in uh, in November. Just you know, this example. isn't. Yeah, and, and you're abs- and, and you're absolutely right. This isn't the, uh, uh, and I've said this so many times. This isn't the '60s. This isn't the Kennedy Democrats. I mean, this, these, we aren't talking about those days anymore. Those days are gone, and I think a lot of the, the, a lot of people are still stuck in that bubble because they were raised that way. But you know, and the, but there's also a lot lot of people waking up more and more every day 
to what the Democratic Party really is in today's society. It's leftist, communist radicalization. Hey, hey Rory. Yeah, just just real ahead. quick. Dan do, you, yeah. Dan, do you mind if I push back on you a little bit? And, and here's the reason. Sure. So about um, Cortez, you, so do you think she will lose um, to the former incumbent, or what, what was your thinking there? I think I th- I've been hearing that he's decided that he wants to run against her in the general election, and he's going to run as an independent. He run on the independent ticket in New York, and that – with his power and prestige of, of his terms, his leadership position in the House, that he will persuade a lot of people to walk away from Cortez and vote for him. Hmm. Here, here, I guess here's the reason I would push back on that a little bit, just because of the media attention that Cortez is getting. But I guess to support your claim, it really, in my opinion, depends on who the Democrat Party supports. And if the party's money goes to, uh, you know, under the table, so to speak, but, you know, but obviously it can't be under the table, but let more discreetly to uh, Crowley, then I, I do think you will win. I guess that's the real question of where's that money going to go? Well, the, there's, a, there's a clue that's very important. The Democratic National Committee recently voted, which has an impact on Bernie. Who would, who would be 80 if he was going to run in 2020? That Jesus. They will no longer they will no longer allow independents to run under the Democratic ticket. So Bernie Sanders, if he wants to run in 2020, will have to declare himself not an independent, but a Democrat. And I think there will be pressure to bot, brought in the Cortez election. Either she has to declare herself as a Democrat or they won't give her any support. Right. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's fair. That makes sense. Um, real quick, I do want to welcome uh, – we do have a caller. Thank you for calling into the Rory Sauter Show. Who am I speaking with? Hey, Rory. It's Tim. Hey, Tim. What's going on, man? Good to have you on. Uh, we were just talking hey. about – obviously, you, you heard about the socialist, uh, the crazy Cortez woman out of New York. Yeah, who interesting enough actually has a degree in economics, which is the uh, crazy yeah, thing. Yeah, which, yeah, which I said weeks Keep ago. in economics. When she, first, <laughs> when, she first, when she first won, yeah, my, Michael Michael Butler, PhD, economics yeah. professor from Stockton University in New Jersey. Uh, please speak on this because I mean you're you're the expert, yeah. and I mean this this woman. This woman, the fact that she has a degree in economics, and you're an economics professor, <laughs> yet you know, and you teach this on a daily yeah. basis. How does a woman go from taking an economics class and, and learning what proper economics entails to having this whole socialist vision? Can you like elaborate? I mean, I know New, I know your university is, um, you know, you said for the most part it's liberal, liberal. but uh, yeah. I'm sure a lot of you know, students in your class are mostly conservative because you're dealing with business and you're dealing with money. Um, but what what your yeah. take though? Well, um, in in economics, uh, there are a number of, of schools of thought. I too, I'm a, I'm a free market economist, but there are um, economists who are more socially oriented, <clears throat> um, and some will win Nobel prizes. You, you might read about Paul, Paul Krugman's columns in the New York Times. Uh, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist, 
but he too uh, looks at economics from a very social standpoint uh, rather than more of a business standpoint. You mentioned that uh, Crowley um, is going to enter the uh, race as a uh, write-in. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, Dan, this Dan could actually help. Dan mentioned that. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know what the ratio. I know in in that district they're uh, very heavily Democratic, but if very heavily means they're sixty percent Democratic and forty percent Republican, well, if Crawley runs and he ends up splitting the Democratic vote between Ortez and Crawley, so the sixty percent gets divided in half and H get get 30, then um, the Republican with 40% of the vote um, could end up winning. <clears throat> I don't know if um, they require a majority or it's just a plurality, the one with the most votes uh, wins. But um, typically, if, if, you, if you have a, a write-in like that from another party, it ends up splitting the strength of the party, uh, and that could be a good news for the um, Republicans. She is uh, there. There is, as was mentioned here, there is a uh, a faction of the Democratic Party that's trying to pull them very far to the left. The Bernie Sanders uh, faction. There's still um, some of the Democratic ba- Party. The Joe Biden, for instance. Uh, I don't know whether he's going to run or not, but if he does, uh, the Joe Biden uh, faction of the party is a little more moderate. Um, I, too, agree that uh, the Democrats are going to uh, do very poorly in the election uh, in this November. Um, I think the uh, Republicans could end up with as many as 57, 58 or more seats in the Senate. And I think they're going to end up adding to their majority in the House. Um, if that happens... Um, and uh, the Republican, the Democratic Party rather sees such large losses, I think they're going to have to go through uh, some kind of an evaluation to see whether the party wants to continue to lean to the left or maybe come up with some policies a little more toward the center. The, the last time a uh, socialist-type candidate ran for the, gover- for the uh, Democratic Party was in 1972 with George McGovern, uh, and he got shellacked. Um, and the Democratic Party was in was in pretty bad shape uh, after that. Forty-nine to one he lost. But but there's a couple of yeah. other pieces of information. Um, Rasmussen also did a poll this week of Democrats about the 2020 candidate. Seventy-three percent of the Democrats who responded to the poll said two things. Younger, fresher face. Now, I don't think that Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or Pocahontas fit either of those two criteria. So if if we're two and a half years away or so from the Democratic uh, and Republican um, primary, who who is that Democrat? who's going to be that 73% of the Democratic Party says they want, who is younger and fresher face. There is nobody well, actually, there. Well, um, there, there may be some possibilities. Uh, Cory Booker, uh, senator yeah, from Kamala New Harris. Jersey, uh, is, and Kamala Harris from California, I would say, are two right now that 
are possible. And if the Democrats do real poorly in the this November election, uh, you may see some others uh, who who uh, believe too, as you do, that the Republican the Democrats need a younger face. You may see uh, some others start to emerge after the 2018 election. Do you think, uh, sir, if I might ask you a quick question, do you think sure. America is ready to elect a gay president? Um, I, I don't think so, no. We um, did with Obama. That's what I was going to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I'm not even sure we're really quite ready for a woman president yet, um, although um, Hillary Clinton ran – Last time, and you know, perhaps we are. Um, remember, every uh, you know, every president so far has been um, male. Uh, up until Obama, they were all Caucasian male. So things are starting to change. Uh, in that, I think the voters are becoming a little uh, less conscious of uh, uh, the president being a, a Caucasian male. Uh, so th- there, there will be others. Um, I don't know if we're quite ready yet for uh, a gay president, but um, who knows who would emerge and, uh, you know, how public would react to that. But I I would react to your comment about Camilla Harris and and, and Cory Booker. They are. I don't. don't, Hey, Dan, 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 I want I want you to explain your point about Camilla Harris and Cory Booker, Cory Booker. But I don't want to get get off this gay topic just yet. Because, you know, when I said we did with Obama, I mean, I do have some valid points here. Now, now let's look at the history of presidents. How many presidents have ever had multiple dudes come forward and said they had affairs and sexual relations with a president besides Barack Obama? None. The, the, the only other people to come forward with affairs for past presidents are females, not males. And I, you know what I do want to play? I do want to play this clip. It's a little bit of a flashback, which I don't know if people think some of you guys may remember this one. Um, but Larry Sinclair um, testifying in court, uh, some of the acts he did with Obama in the back of a limousine uh, when, when Obama <laughs> was senator. Dude, does anybody recall this story? Uh, no. Okay, well, let's, let's do we want to hear this? My stomach is feeling good tonight. <laughs> yeah, we do. Play it. Good afternoon. My name is Larry Sinclair. In regards to the Obama incident, I flew out of Colorado Springs, Colorado, to Chicago on November 2nd, 1999, arriving in O'Hare early in the morning of November 3rd. I went to the Chicago area to attend the graduation of my godson, my best friend's son, from basic training from the Great Lakes Navy Training Facility. I made reservations at the Comfort Inn and Suites in Gurney, Illinois, based solely on the location to the training center. On November 5th, 1999, I hired the services of Five Star Limousine. <coughs> Excuse me. I had hired them both for November 5th and November 6th of 1999. On November 6th, 1999, I asked the limo driver, whose name I now reveal for the first time, Jagir Paramit Mutani if he knew anyone who would like to socialize and show me Chicago. Mr. Mutani understood that I was looking for someone who knew Chicago and would enjoy socializing. Mr. Mutani said he knew someone who was a friend of his. 
On November 6, 1999, after picking me up at the hotel in Gurney, and this is significant, Mr. Mutani used his cell phone to make a call. That call was made to then Illinois State Senator Barack Obama to set up an introduction between myself and Senator Obama. Upon arriving at the bar and exiting the limo, Senator Obama was standing next to Mr. Mutani, and I was introduced to Senator Obama by name. Later that evening in a bar, which I believe was called Alibis, and I state believe because I have failed so far to get Citigroup to provide the credit card receipts that has the actual name. <clears throat> I mentioned I could use a line or two to wake up. Senator Obama asked me if I was referring to Coke, and I stated I was. After stating I was, Obama stated he could purchase cocaine for me and then made a telephone call. This too is significant from a cell phone to a presently unknown individual during which Senator Obama arranged the cocaine purchase. Senator Obama and I then departed the bar in my limousine and proceeded to an unknown location where Senator Obama exited the limousine with $250 which was provided to him by me. Returned a short while later with an eight ball of cocaine which he gave to me. I did ingest a couple of lines of cocaine and shortly thereafter Senator Obama produced a glass cylinder pipe and packet of crack cocaine from his pocket. Obama then smoked the crack cocaine. I performed fellatio on Senator Obama in the limousine during the time Senator Obama was smoking crack cocaine. After which I had the driver take me to my hotel, the Comfort Suites, Gurney, Illinois. The following day, November 7th, 1999, Senator Obama appeared at my hotel room unannounced, uninvited, where we again ingested cocaine and I again performed fellatio on Senator Obama. Significantly, both the driver's telephone call to Senator Obama and his call to the drug dealer should appear on the driver's and Senator Obama's cell phone billing statements. In the fall of 2007, September 2007, I contacted the presidential campaign of Barack Obama to request solely that Senator Obama publicly correct his stated drug use record to, collect, <coughs> excuse me, to reflect his use of crack cocaine with me in November of 1999. When I made the first contact, I left with the presidential campaign of Senator Obama a telephone number for the campaign to return my call. The first number I provided was a Texas cell phone number. From the period of Labor Day weekend 2007, through November 18th of 2007. I did provide a total of... All right, blah, 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 blah. All right, but no, but bottom line, though, I mean, he's one of multiple that have testified. I mean, what 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 is everybody's thoughts on that? I'm sure people, some people got sick to their stomachs hearing that. Um, I, and if you've already heard it before, it's uh, it makes me laugh every time I hear the guy you tell the story because it's, it, uh, you know, he doesn't really stutter. He's testifying in front in front of court. Uh, Dan, your thoughts on that first, though? Well, I I I do a syndicated show out of Chicago with a gentleman by the name of Charles Butler. He's quite well known in Chicago radio, and um, Charles has told me for a number of years that he and I have worked together. That uh, he believed uh, that uh, that Barack Obama was first a Muslim and second was also gay, which is a problem for a true believer because the Muslim yep. faith doesn't believe in homosexual activity. Now, um, and so uh, I don't know how strong a Muslim that made Mr. Obama, uh, but but clearly there is evidence 
uh, as you just played, where people have accused or are admitted to um, sexual deviancy with the President of the United States, and um, nobody really said anything about it. And They didn't talk uh, about it. Imagine if that was Trump. They'd be talking about it every second, but that was so secretive and so hidden. Agreed. Uh, it is part of the wall of protection. And, and, and I, I, I wrote a piece recently where I said that there is another wall of protection. And I've said on your show, Roy, I've, on more than one occasion, that I, I am still mystified as to uh, and last weekend when we had the redacted FISA warrant. And I've written, yeah. I wrote a novel about that and, yeah. and, yeah. and other things. Um, yeah. That uh, that the deep state in the Justice Department and the FBI is continuing yeah. to drag their feet and not provide to Nunes and Gaudi the information they want. And I have concluded now, finally, that yeah. based on yeah. sheer hunch, is that the deep state is convinced that Hillary Clinton is going to be the nominee for the party in 2020, and then will do everything within their power to prevent the Justice Department opening up an, a reinvestigation of the Clinton email and the Clinton Foundation. And I am going to play. I need, I, I need to play. I need to play a quick Gowdy clip. You brought up Gowdy. We need to. We need. I need to play that clip real quick. But what I first want to say, go back to the gay thing about Obama, is that you know the Democrats claim to be this openly, you know you know, be whoever you want, you know, if you're gay, please express it. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and they were trying to hide stories like this. Like, like it just goes to show the hypocrisy and the contradiction. Yeah. The, the democratic party may be the leadership of the democratic party may be ready to deal with gays, but I don't yeah. think that the American people, the American electorate right. is right. ready to deal with a gay president. Oh yeah, there's well, a lot of hypocrisy I mean, on the Republican side too, with guys like Denny Hasser, a former uh, speaker and plenty of right? congressman. Yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of hypocrisy on the conservative side as well, with people who are like Denny Hasser, who is molesting little boys, and and definitely not the only one. Oh yeah, oh absolutely, both parties that you know have problems. Uh, Michael Bussler, I wanted you to speak on this, speak on this a little bit. What do you think? Um, well, uh, I, uh, I think both parties do do have problems. Or individuals within the parties, I think that yeah. that uh, have the problems. I think the Republican position, uh, I think, is a, a little more clear on uh, the beliefs that they have and. Uh, what they're willing to accept and what they still view um, a little differently. The Democratic Party, I think, has a little bit of hypocrisy in the way they uh, take a look at some of these things. They uh, seem to say one thing, and then sort of behind the scenes, they end up doing doing something different. Um, you know, that's part of the uh, appeal of President Trump is that uh, he uh, tells it exactly what he feels. Uh, he's not as filtered uh, as other presidents have been. He certainly, he's not, because he's not a politician, uh, he's a business person. Um, he doesn't really understand the concept of political correctness. 
and the way you sort of are supposed to phrase things. Um, and I think that's very refreshing to the American people. Um, yeah. As much as uh, people complain about that he's uh, tweeting all the time, he really should cut that out. Um, I think exactly the opposite. Um, his I tweets agree. allow him to directly speak to the American people without going through a, a journalist who uh, oftentimes yeah. puts their own views into what they're uh, saying. So I think you get a little more of uh, Trumpism. Um, I think people are uh, um, attracted to that, and they really um, are tired of listening to all this double talk, and they want – whether they like what you're saying or not, they want to at least understand where you're coming from and make your point clear. Yeah, I, Absolutely. I, Roy, I want to I, I want to jump in there real quick because I've got a, a a point I want to make. All right, go on again. Sunday, I was watching the replay of the British Open when the tweet came through that Donald Trump sent to the leader of Iran, in all caps, <laughs> punctuated. And when I read it, I yeah, we're getting we're going to get into this reading. too. So anyway, I couldn't believe what I read, and I read it again. And then when I read it again, I stood up in my living room and yelled, yes. yes. And I yelled <laughs> yes because for eight years we had a president and a secretary of state who were – and the American people who were verbally abused – by the the ayatollahs and the imams in Iran when they kept saying death to Americans. When John yep. Kerry was negotiating the nuclear uh, agreement, there were, I, from what I've been understanding, is that there were many times when the leader of the Iranian delegation would stand up and yell across the table at John Kerry, death to America. And when I read what Donald Trump did and how he did it in all caps, I said, there probably will be Democrats who will be opposed to what he said. But I believe he won millions of American voters who, when he did that because Americans are saying, finally we have somebody who stands up for America right. and doesn't take the crap from the Iranian leadership. Right. Oh, oh absolutely. Yep. Agreed. Uh, Valerie, that's go why ahead. He'll, he'll win the, that's why he'll win the next election. Between that and the economy and immigration, those are his issues. <laughs> and he stands up for us finally. We have somebody that doesn't apologize for who we are. And in addition, I wanted to go back to, I was hearing about uh, Obama um, as a Muslim, I don't know if he declared himself that as such, but he certainly behaved as though he, he lied was and said he was a during, Christian during his eight years. And his first, his first, the first thing he did was go to Egypt, and he had Muslim Brotherhood people on the front of his uh, speech. Everybody was there, um, um, and then he spoke specifically to, to them, uh, as if the Americans didn't know, as if we didn't know what he was saying. He was clearly on um, trying to get as many Muslim Brotherhood people at high levels of, of Washington D.C. and in the in his administration, and he supported the, whatever they they wanted, and and he spoke fluent Arabic. And let's not forget, I, let's I not think, forget the new, and let's not forget the new report out today that 
Al-Qaeda group funded by Obama admin supported bin Laden, Hamas, and the Afghan yeah. terrorists. That's right. That's right. And this is what's been going on, you know, for at least 10 years. And, and thank God we have Trump because he's the only one that has the hook to do something about it. And it's dangerous stuff. And they're, they're, they're extremely well uh, dispersed around Washington, D.C., it's very hard yeah, you to know, get rid I'm, of them. I'm sorry. Go ahead. If I could just add, uh, um, Trump, uh, his foreign policy obviously is much different than uh, Obama's, but he's pretty much copying what um, Ronald Reagan did. It's uh, that peace yeah. through strength. Um, he yeah. confronted North Korea, and everybody said, well, you're going to start a nuclear war, and this is going to be a catastrophe for the world. But he stood up, he confronted them. Uh, something that past presidents, both Republican and Democrat, failed to do. Um, other presidents were just willing to kind of uh, appease North Korea and sort of kick the can down the road for the next guy to worry about. And President uh, Trump says, look, I'm not kicking the can down the road anymore. Uh, I'm going to confront Korea, uh, North Korea. We are still the strongest, most powerful, most prosperous country in the world. Um, so there's no reason for us to apologize to anybody. There's no reason uh, to let Iran uh, do some of the things they do. You remember that uh, boat they captured and they made our uh, sailors uh, get on their hands and knees with their hands behind their, oh, their head. Um, yeah. President Trump would never stand for something like that. So he came out swinging with Iran. He said, look, there's a, a terrible deal that the past administration uh, signed, never had it passed by the Senate, so it's not a treaty. Um, yeah. It was signed just through an executive order. I'm going to just reverse that. I'm not going to continue to be in this. Um, and, again, people were saying, well, now uh, Iran is free to do whatever they, they care to do without the uh, restrictions of that agreement. But um, Trump toughened up. He put sanctions on them. The Iranian economy is in terrible shape. Um, yeah. And just like he did with North Korea, the, the bad economy ends up bringing them to the table. I think he's going to have similar success in uh, Iran by showing them that we're tough. Um, we control financial yeah. markets. Uh, we're going to put pressure on you. And you either uh, stop doing the uh, terrible behavior you have, sponsoring so much terrorism, uh, not just in the Middle East, but in other parts of the world. Otherwise, if you we're going to take that, you out. We're going to cut you off. Exactly. Well, I exactly. think the people are doing that. The people in Iran are Val finally Valerie, you, that they can stand Valerie, up. You worked, you, worked, you worked for Ronald Reagan, so you, all, you know all about the leadership that Trump's using with this foreign policy. I, I agree wholeheartedly with whoever just said that he's taking a card um, <laughs> from, off of Trump's uh, – off of Ronald Reagan's oh, um, right. ideology. I think, I think he's right, and I, and I also agree that that's, that's where we should be. I mean, that's the way that that countries will fold. I think Iran, there's a decent chance that we're going to, we're going to, he's going to, the president's going to get what he wanted because the people are now feeling confident enough to rise from the grassroots. And that's what topples governments. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, and I, I think, I was just going to say, I think, uh, uh, you know, Trump is uh, following what Reagan did on foreign policy uh, equally important, um, he's following what Reagan did on economic policy. 
you know, we deregulated. Uh, uh, Reagan did some industries, and Trump ended up taking off regulations. Reagan th- put through that massive tax cut, uh, and Trump did the same thing. Um, tomorrow, the uh, uh, estimate of second quarter GDP comes out. By my calculations, and I don't have all the data, but from what I see, the numbers should be in the 4.5% range. Um, now, we haven't had um, – we did have a quarter of economic growth in 2014 that was up to 4, uh, 4%, but then it dropped off uh, dramatically after that. I think in this case, we're going to see probably a 4.5% growth rate announced tomorrow, and I think that will uh, go forward into the future at least a couple of years. When Reagan's tax cut went into effect in 1982, um, two years later in 1984, GDP grew at a 7.5% rate for the entire year. I don't know if we'll get up quite that high, but um, I think um, I'm very optimistic about uh, economic growth. I think tomorrow's number uh, will be good, and it will be that way at least for the next couple of quarters and maybe the next few years, and it may even go – higher than that. And as you mentioned, uh, as Dan mentioned before, the number one uh, concern of the American people is the economy. Um, And having the economy this strong, I think, is going to bode very well for Republicans in November. The third quarter GDP number comes out the end of October, about a week before the election. I believe that, too, will be another 4% plus uh, growth period. Um, and then the elections a week later, I'm not sure what the Democrats are going to run on. Uh, they're still right. talking about repealing the tax cut that has done so much. So um, Trump's uh, doing what Reagan did in foreign policy and economic policy, and I think he's going to have the same success that Reagan did. I hey, agree 100 percent. Jim, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I, I do agree that this GDP number that's going to come out is probably going to be pretty strong. But I think just like, uh, you know, I'll bet you a dollar on this, that uh, sure. that this is going to be a one-off event that maybe you might have one or two GDPs in the fours, but this is not going to be a sustained 4 or 5%, uh, you know, from here to the, you know, cows come home. I, I just do not believe that. There was a lot of short-term yeah, let me, activity. Let me, just, uh, let, me, let me just, if I can – uh, so, so Reagan cut the taxes in uh, 1982, and he cut everybody's tax rate, including the highest income earners. Um, by cutting those taxes, the U.S. went on a 25-year growth spurt. He had a slight hiccup in 91 and a slight hiccup in 2001. But essentially from 82 to 2007, you had a 25-year growth spurt. By fundamentally changing the tax laws, and they're likely to do something um, either at the end of this year or the beginning of next year to even make the tax laws more Reagan-esque, um, I think we're looking at a prolonged period of uh, sustained economic growth. I mean, there's a Let few me... things going on in play that happened back then that we, that we don't have the same uh, tailwinds today. You had demographics with the baby boomers who were – started being born in 1946 who uh, were their, reaching their peak spending years at, in 1992. So you had a huge contingent of people who were adding to the economy. Well, now those baby boomers are starting to uh, you know, reach the age of having to withdraw from their IRAs, uh, 
you know, the oldest ones are reaching 71, 72 years old right now. You've got 10,000 new a day that are having to start drawing from all these benefits, and we just don't have a lot of the resources to compete with that. You also had in the 80s interest rates that went from being sky high to then being lowered until basically right about now, where now our country can't even afford any interest rate hike whatsoever. And we're just sitting on an absolute demographic time bomb. And Trump so far has taken the debt the deficit going from $666 billion under Obama's last budget to now over 800, which was over 100% increase from the CBO projected 400 billion. It's probably going to be over eight next year. I think there's a good chance it's going to be over a trillion. And a lot of these tax cuts, I mean, this wasn't really true tax reform. I mean, going to a consumption tax would be tax reform. This was uh, mainly wow. repatriation, where countries uh, were able to repatriate their, or companies were able to repatriate their money back, just like George W. Bush did in 2005. Three years later, the stock market and the economy was considerably lower. So this was a short-term steroid uh, that, yeah, is going to help. You also, the threat of trade war has caused companies to build up inventory, so that way they don't have to pay for goods under potential tariffs. So you've seen the inventory build up. That's also going to uh, that's also going to build up. But you know, as soon as we see some inflation coming, next time we have a recession, there's you know the pension funds are completely underfunded. You've got terrible demographics and it really doesn't – this is not a condemnation of Trump. I mean, this is going to happen no matter what, and obviously he's doing a better job than Clinton did. But I do not think that we're going to see uh, you know, a sustained period of 4%. There's just no way unless you're going to lie about inflation and say it's at zero. Yeah, let me Can just – um, uh, a couple – yeah, oh, somebody else want to go, go ahead? ahead? Go ahead, Dan, yeah. then Michael. Go ahead, Dan, then Michael. Yeah, I, w- I want to respond because, well, I'm not an economist college professor – have 45 years of investing money on a global basis for individuals and small pension funds. So I, I, I do know a little bit about economics. The, the one thing that the other caller is, is totally ignoring is that prior to Ronald Reagan and the Carter administration, we stopped becoming energy independent. We, we depended upon foreign oil for 65% of our energy. We can, we, so we needed the, the OPEC nations to provide us 65%. And when Jimmy Carter was president and we had the oil embargoes, President Carter told us, turn down the thermostats in the winter, <laughs> turn them up in the summertime, Put on. wear a sweater. Put on a sweater. Going, wear a sweater. We're not going to have. We're not going to light the Christmas tree, the national Christmas tree. You shouldn't light your own. It was because we were totally dependent on foreign energy. Today, we are energy independent. We have an abundant supply of oil and natural gas. We are exporting 2 million barrels a day, which is putting more and more Americans to work in good-paying jobs. And companies are coming to the United States because the energy supply that so many companies need is reliable in the United States more so than anywhere else in the world. That means that companies are coming here because of favorable taxes, an energy supply that's almost limitless, and an economy that's growing dramatically. The impact of that, of driving, the other thing is that nobody's talking about here is that 
the actual gross receipts to the Treasury during the, this economic expansion are greater than ever before in the history of the country. See, when, right. when the Congress – Is it more than the, the growth budget, of the deficit, though? I mean, the, yeah, is it more than the yeah. growth of the deficit? Yeah, because you got to understand that when the con- Congressional Budget Office does their impact of tax cuts, they use static accounting. They do not use dynamic accounting. Static accounting says if I take $100 million of tax revenue out, I know, yeah. I've either got to have to increase debt by $100 billion or I have to cut something in the budget. They don't allow for the fact that that money that's being saved and going back to consumers and businesses is being used. Well, we saw that happen when Trump passed – they passed the tax bill. We saw what corporations were doing of giving money back. They were they were making distributions to their employees. Their tax rates went down. They decided uh, most of it to went to stock money. buybacks. I mean, it was a pittance that went to employees compared to stock buybacks. No, no, don't don't. Who benefited from the stock buybacks? The shareholders. Who are the shareholders? Institutions. Institutions represent individual investors. Yeah, like 10% so, of the so, country so that has enough money in stocks to what? even make a difference. What? Yeah, like maybe like 10% Pardon of the country that has enough what? money in stocks to make a meaningful difference. The other 90%, the stock market doesn't really matter because they don't have any money in it. Yeah. Well, Let me um, – if I can add a few things here, there's a whole bunch that's been said I'd like go, to address. Go ahead, Michael. Um, yeah. First of all, uh, the population uh, demographics is certainly a problem, but there are more millennials than there are baby boomers. So even though a lot of baby boomers are retiring, uh, millennials are coming up here, and we do have a uh, potential time bomb with uh, pension problems uh, and even underfunded eventually Social Security that we're going to have to deal with. But I think Trump will start to address some of that too. Uh, Secondly, um, part of what the uh, tax cut did was it allowed corporations to bring money back from overseas uh, without paying huge penalties. And why is there so much money overseas? Uh, companies like Apple um, don't uh, set up a corporate headquarters. They just buy a little house or a little building, in, in Apple's case, Ireland. They become an Irish company instead of an American company. And why did they do that? Because they didn't want to pay America's 35% corporate tax rate when Ireland's was only 22. Um, there have been estimates, there's as much as $2 trillion in, in um, uh, American companies' cash sitting in foreign countries that will now come back as a result of this uh, uh, new tax law. That will have a very stimulative effect on the economy. Thirdly, in the area of trade, um, Trump wants, his goal is, to end these unfair trade practices and eventually to try to get to a situation where you have completely fair and free trade, no tariffs for for anything. Now, uh, when Trump took a look at the uh, trade agreements, everyone we have is in favor of our trading partners and we're coming up short. For instance, the European Union, if they build a car in Germany or France and sell it in the U.S., we charge a 2.5% tariff. If the U.S. builds a car and sells it in uh, Europe, they charge us a 10% tariff. 
Every one of the trade deals, including NAFTA with the European Union and worse yet with China, every one is in favor of the trading partners and much uh, to our disfavor, which means hundreds of billions of dollars have been swollen out of the, the country. So Trump starts putting these tariffs on as any business person would in a negotiation with a reluctant partner, you create a sense of urgency. So Trump put these tariffs on. Suddenly the European Union comes over here and said, okay, we're going to try to work. There are no, no tariffs. You're going to, China's starting to negotiate with us because this uh, trade conflict war is going to end up hurting them more than, than us. They're going to start to negotiate something with us. And just the president of Mexico just today announced that he wants to bring Canada and the U.S. together to finally renegotiate NAFTA. I think in a relatively short time period, maybe months, um, that we'll start to renegotiate these deals and it will actually be a plus for the U.S. and not a, a, a minus. So with all those things, I still say the economy is set for a very rapid uh, expansion uh, and rapid growth into the future. Now, how do you create? How do you uh, make sure you have growth? We have a capital-intensive economy, which means we need capital for the economy to grow. By tax rate, he creates new capital, even if the companies don't invest it, even if they give it to their stockholders. The reason they do that, the stockholders, who are the owners of the corporation, say, look, we, this corporation doesn't have a lot of great investment opportunities. I'd rather, the owners say, pull the money out and let me invest it in places where I see better opportunities. Uh, some corporations who don't have opportunities to invest say, well, look, some of the stockholders, those say, well, look, let me just sell my stock back to you. Um, and I'll take that capital from selling it, and I'll reinvest it back into the economy. So no matter whether they buy stock back, whether they uh, increase dividends, or whether they invest it themselves, the tax cut creates new capital at a time when we need capital to grow because we have such a capital-intensive economy. So, again, I, I, I still believe that we're uh, in store for a fairly prolonged growth rate. The last point, I don't mean to monopolize all the time. The last point is, um, I think it was Dan brought up the point that even though the tax rates are lower, the uh, Treasury Department is actually taking in more dollars. Uh, that will continue. Uh, the tax rate is lower, but it's now being a lower rate on a much larger base because the economy is growing. Tax revenue will increase. So Tim said, well, why then is the deficit going way up? Well, the deficit's gone up because uh, Congress just uh, allowed some huge increases in government spending, some of them necessary with the military, for instance. The next problem Trump will tackle next year is trying to get the budget somewhere closer to balance. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office has, uh, partially because they use uh, uh, static scoring instead of recognizing that the growth rate is going to change. It should be a dynamic. But at any rate, the con Congressional Budget uh, Office has had a terrible record in forecasting tax revenue, and I think they're way off here. What you're going to start to find, the deficit will go up this year, but I think starting next year, Trump will start to rein in on spending and, and tax revenue will increase because of the 
uh, increased economy, and you'll see the deficit shrink in the next few years, being far less than what the Congressional Budget Office predicts. Yeah, I mean, I just want to jump in and say I'm a free market capitalist. I mean, basically borderline anarcho-capitalist, Austrian, come from Austrian school of economics. So, I mean, believe me, I, I'm not for any of these tariffs, but I do, you know, realize you that you got to come to negotiating. Go ahead, though. All right. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, a matter of fact, I, mean, I was running a libertarian Facebook page that was, uh, you know, was reaching over a million people a week leading up to the election, telling people why they should vote for Trump. Uh, but anyways, uh, with all that said, I mean, I think the one thing, and I do agree that dynamic scoring, they don't, I mean, the CBO has a terrible track record. It's like listening to, you know, getting your news from Snopes or, you know, MSNBC. They're complete, they're awful all the time. But one of the things that we're not really mentioning is the fact that, you know, from 2008 to 2000 and late 2014, you had the central banks around the world, uh, particularly the Fed, printing tons and tons of money. Now, as soon as the Federal Reserve stopped printing money in late 2014, days later, the Europeans uh, – sorry, days later, the Bank of Japan massively increased their program. A few, uh, a few months after that, the ECB launched their program. Well, now you've gone from a period of having all the central bank easing to now the central banks are going to be unloading about $50 billion a month starting in October, just the Fed, just the Fed alone. Then you've got the ECB who's, who are going to stop purchasing bonds in December. And so you, you have a global market that's been propped up by artificial interest rates, negative interest rates in Europe, where you've had trillions of dollars that are negative. Yep. So all the pig countries, you know, how are they going to finance themselves? Uh, banks like Deutsche Bank, how are they going to, you know, finance themselves when they don't, you know, they can't rely on uh, the ECB anymore who are buying corporate bonds? You've, and so you've had all this manipulation at the central bank level, and they're not going to uh, you know, want to prop things up for Trump. I mean, they're going to set Trump up to be the perfect fall guy. And so, you know, yes, I, you know, want taxes low. I don't even, I don't even want an IRS. Uh, you know, yes, the revenue, the receipts are higher. According to the June 2018 CBO, uh, revenues are 1% higher year over year, and the deficit is 4% higher, uh, or the outlays are 4% higher. The deficit's even more than that. So, um, you know, I don't believe that this that this Congress, that this president actually want to cut spending. Like, yeah, they might want to, but they're not going to do it. I mean, if you this, it was an absolute insult to see how much they were spending at this last uh, budget deal. And I, I, I would bet you another dollar that there's no way uh, we're going to be spending less money than I bet even the last year of Obama. I mean, there's there's no way uh, the spending is going down. If it does go down, then you're going to see the GDP going down with it. But the central well, banking I, uh, is a big is a big issue. No one's no one's talking about. Um, I, I have I go have ahead, to go, Dan. but I, but I do want to respond to the to the last comment. Yes. Is is that is that we're 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 reluctant to want to admit that a robust economy will generate cash flows that will allow the Fed to unwind its asset purchases shrink the balance sheet and shrink the deficit and the debt exactly. of this country. And, and, and we're, you're ignoring that. And the idea. What do you think that we could shrink it to? I'm, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to opinion. Like, what do you think we, the fed can actually be successful at in terms of shrinking the balance sheet? Like what, what level do you think it can get down to? I think it can get down to, to less than a trillion dollars. 
What was the and, What was the question again? We're, talk, we're talking well, about the the dynamics of the economy and what it does as far as being able to shrink deficits and debt. Shrink, but shrink the, the deficit. The last, we were, we're also yeah. talking about the Federal Reserve balance sheet. I was asking, what's the like? How low do you think? How much success do you think the Fed will actually have at shrinking their balance sheet, and what level will it be at? What level do you think they'll be able to pull off? Because I personally don't think they're going to be. I don't even think they'll be able to get below three and a half trillion or four trillion. Uh, I think there's, there's no you way mean, they're going to be able. In to terms get of how how much the money supply is, or how much uh, debt the Federal sheet. Reserve they're, they're, is carrying. The, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. Um, I'm not sure how low it will go. I'm not sure how um, how much of an impact that'll have. I mean, though, um, obviously it's a huge sum of, of of money, and they will reduce their their uh, uh, holdings. Um, but I agree with Dan that the uh, as the economy is is generating more revenue and and uh, adding more. Capital, uh, there will be enough, I think, for the uh, private sector to absorb what the Federal Reserve is doing. They've got to raise interest rates. They're at historical lows, and if they don't, it's higher than where they were a year or so ago, but still uh, by historical standards low. And if they keep them this low with this much money in circulation with a growing uh, economy, you're going to, you will run into an inflation problem. Um, but what do you the, think the of Trump calling treasury- out the Fed and saying they should stop raising rates? I mean, Trump just last week said, <laughs> um, you know, why are you? And I agree, the rates should have been this. This should have, the rates should have been raised three years yeah. ago. Yeah, um, and they I do. Think- they do have to. Uh, they do have to come up. The ten-year Treasury is still under three percent. Historical right. average is around three percent. So, so there's room for that uh, to um, increase. You take a look at mortgage rates. Um, the housing market is very hot, uh, and that will lead to a lot of inflation in the housing market. As, and to prevent that, the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates. Mortgage rates will go up, and that will take a little demand out of the market, and that will stop some of this um, inflationary pressure. Historically, if mortgage rates are under 6%, the housing market is usually good. So even though they've gone up considerably, the nationwide average is still around 5%, much higher than it was a year ago, but still below historical standards. Um, So I think the Federal Reserve will continue to move up. Now, from President Trump's um, comments, uh, from his standpoint, he'd like to see interest rates as low as uh, possible, at least until the economy gets really going. Um, so he really doesn't want to see the Federal Reserve raise the interest rates that quickly. Uh, in economics, we have a term called jawboning. Uh, jawboning means that the uh, president can't tell the Federal Reserve what to do. They operate autonomously or semi-autonomously. But what presidents do is they often uh, uh, talk in the press about what they'd like to see and hope some of what they're saying, their jawboning, will have somewhat of an um, impact. Uh, so I understand what President Trump is doing. I don't think he's going to have any impact on what the Federal Reserve actually does. And their policy will be to continue to gradually raise um, interest rates. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, there will definitely be one more rate increase by the end of the year, and there may be another one. They go up only a quarter of a point at a, at a time. So I think the Federal Reserve has taken the right policy. Um, President Trump can make those uh, comments. Um, I don't think it will have any impact on what the Federal Reserve does. 
Um, and this is typically the way monetary policy works. The uh, chairperson of the Federal Reserve tries to walk a fine line between um, uh, raising interest rates enough to reduce inflation, but not raise them enough to end up hurting economic growth. And so far, what they're doing, I think, seems to seems to be the right way to go. Roy, I, I need to go, but I need to finish making that one point that I was trying to make. Yeah, Dan, make your one point, and I need you for five more minutes. I want to move on to this segment. There's something big I really need to talk to everyone about. Um, okay. Well, I just want to yeah, go I just want to point out to everybody to remember what Donald Trump said with the last budget fiasco. Never again. Never, Never again. again. That's exactly what Never he said. Never again. He said, and I'm saying I'm suggesting to you that looking at the schedule of the budget resolution, I suspect that Donald Trump will in fact shut down the government just before the midterm elections. And he no. will tell the Americans... You think, he, you think he would shut it down right before the midterms? Yes, I do. Because I think he will... I mean, I, 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 mean I, I would like it. I would like that to happen, but I just I don't see that happening. I do. Okay, go ahead, Roy. Um, I want to... So I, what I want to ask you before you go, Dan, and everybody else stay on as well right now. So Jeff Sessions can, has come out and he's defended, and I've, you've probably written about this, Dan, Dan, and you're probably well aware and been looking into this. Uh, Jeff Sessions has, has been defending Rod Rosenstein after GOP has been calling for his uh, Rosenstein's, Rosenstein's impeachment. I mean, uh, the fact that Jeff Sessions is coming to Rosenstein's defense, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on this? Because I have a couple different theories on this. I... <laughs> I, I have talked about this on uh, numerous radio shows over the last two weeks. Um, I believe that the, one of the reasons why Rosenstein is under attack is because he is trying to control the flow of information along with many other people in the FBI and the Justice Department and doing so because they personally believe that Hillary Clinton will be the nominee for the Democratic Party in 2020, and they want to keep their jobs, and they've got to protect her because if she's knocked out, they don't see anybody who can beat Trump. Hmm. That's why he's doing what he's doing. I mean, it's going to be he'll win in a landslide. He'll win even bigger than he's beat her before. Right. But they, they don't, they don't believe that though. For some reason, you're saying. No, they don't. They, I mean, they still believe that they're going to find the silver bullet that will, will will eliminate Mr. Trump. That he will not be able to run for re-election in 2020. They still believe that. We we, and you think- we can't under, We can't understand why they think that way. The practical reality is: look at the body of evidence. The body of evidence says they don't only thought that way, they still think that way. They still believe she, and I, I, I told you, I wrote this story, the ultimate victim will be the nominee for the Democratic Party in 2020. And Hillary Clinton, Cory Booker's not a victim. Camilla Harris is not a victim. Hillary well, they're Clinton both black, so that makes all- them a victim, a victim automatically. <laughs> 
Just want to respond to that, Tim. What'd you say? Well, I said since they're both black and, and uh, they have a victim mentality right off the get-go that they can use identity politics for. So, you know, I, I do think that Cory Booker and obviously Camilla Harris are both positioning for for 2020, but you know that's obviously to be expected. I just don't see them as viable candidates, even if they're black, because the Democratic Party has had for a number of decades a philosophy of victimhood. And Hillary Clinton is the greatest victim in the Democratic Party because Trump stole the election from her. So she deserves a chance to try and win. And I did a piece over the weekend about the three losers. Which which one of the three losers is going to be the the Democratic nominee, and will they be a winner? And the three losers are Hillary, Biden, and Bernie. <laughs> and the three and, losers. And you think? And you think? You know? You me- I mentioned Jeff Sessions. You think Jeff Sessions is tied into <clears throat> basic? Do you basically into this? So you think Rod Rosenstein has something on Sessions? I mean, the, the fact, you know, my original question was, why is Sessions defending the impeachment of Rosenstein and not coming to the, def- to the defense of Donald Trump? I, I mean, you, you kind of explained it, but in a sense, you know, I, in a way you did, but you explained part of it. But I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a quick analogy. When I was a broker for Merrill Lynch in the Columbus, Ohio office and was given an opportunity to go to New York, in the corporate headquarters and work in a product area, one of the brokers who had been in the business a long time said to me, don't go there. Because when you go to New York, the heart of the capital market, and you work for the big Merrill Lynch firm, when you get there, they're going to take your fingers and put them in a socket, and they're going to shock you and continue to shock you until you agree with what they're doing. Jeff Sessions has been intimidated by the staff of both the Justice Department of the F- and the FBI. That's, he was intimidated to recuse himself because there was nothing wrong with what he did, but they pressured him that it was the appropriate thing for him to do. So he has been under the control and the influence of the deep state within the Justice Department and the FBI, and he can't work himself out. The gentleman who forecasted the number of House seats and Senate seats that the Republicans are likely to to win creates an opportunity for Donald Trump to ask for Jeff Sessions' resignation, yeah. and a new Attorney General who comes in, who I hope will go after Hillary and the Hillary Clinton Foundation. But Sessions needs to have a way to get out with some degree of dignity. But I believe he is absolutely under the direct influence of the deep state. Oh, yeah. And you wrote an article about this as well this week. Didn't you talk about, and you've, you've, this is a big headline, and everybody needs to hear this, the FBI has seized now more than 100 recordings made by Michael Cohen of conversations with President Trump. I want to get everybody's thoughts on this, but, Dan, I know you have to – I want to get your thoughts real quick. What, what have you been – I know you've been paying attention to this. Yes, we we basically have uh, the FBI under the deep state and Mueller and his people have basically destroyed the 
portions of the Constitution. There's no longer a attorney-client privilege, which will be the, what they have done with Cohen and other people, uh, and the and the and the falsification of the FISA warrant uh, has has damaged the rights and the freedoms of American people. Uh, and I don't know whether we'll ever be able to get it back, but it's clearly that the, the government and the and the investigators and the FBI, the Justice Department are out of control, and and Sessions can't control it. It's it's out of his power. The deep state has got it, and they don't care about our rights anymore. They don't care about our right to privacy. They don't care about client privilege with attorney. They are they they are ignoring it. And you've got the courts who are liberal in nature are allowing it to happen. They're they're eroding away our civil and constitutional rights. And with that, I got to run. All right, Dan. Well, I'll let you go. Um, thank, thank you for coming on, Dan Perkins, oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and a contributor to the Daily Caller, Clash Daily, Live Zet, Daily Surge, and The Hill. Thank you, Dan. You're welcome. Good night. Thank you. So, Rory, I'm a, I'm on the East Coast, remember, so it's after midnight here. I'm going to have to take off also. Yeah, bus, bus, we got about 10 minutes left if you can stick around. Um, um, I, do have... I don't know if I can go the whole 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll hang All around right, for like another you... few minutes. Okay. All right, cool, 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 cool. Um, Josh, go ahead, though, your thoughts real quick. Yeah, just, you know, in regards to this, I think the reason that, you know, um, Sessions is defending him is because, I mean, they're in the uh, the thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize and what I have, I came to realize with my time in D.C. is that it's a big club down there. Everybody's buddy-buddy. Even the Democrats and Republicans uh, in Congress, for the most part, are, are, you know, they don't want to see anybody go to jail. Um, you know, the Democrats act like they want to see these Republicans sometimes go to jail. And, you know, the ones that dislike Trump, they would like to see him go to jail. But for the most part, the people from across the aisle don't want to see each other go to jail, and they'll defend the other one when it comes down to it, uh, except yeah. to the extent that, you know, to hurt their own job security. So I'm not surprised whatsoever. I think this is normal D.C. Um, politics, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that too. I I think Sessions is just in in over his head. Um, I think he's he's uh, he got into the the job that he's in, and um, he really wasn't fully prepared for it, as you say, recused himself, and now you have Rod Rosenstein really running the Justice Department. Um, one of the if if uh, Trump did fire him. Uh, Rosenstein becomes the acting uh, attorney general until the Senate approves somebody else. So that could be a little bit of a of an issue, too. I don't know how long Rosenstein will end up with uh, keeping his job. He clearly has a conflict of interest um, with the Mueller probe, but that doesn't doesn't seem to stop him. And he stays in his job. In fact, he's very defiant when he's uh, questioned by members of uh, Congress. But um we're all right in that uh, the appointment of Sessions uh, really hurt Trump uh, here. The attorney general is supposed to have the president's back, uh, the way Eric Holder did it with uh, Barack Obama, for instance, and it's happened with virtually every other president. The attorney general really has their back, um, and that's not the case here. 
and Trump's got himself in a, a tough spot. Um, I don't think he can uh, fire Sessions at this point. He could, I guess, if he wanted to. Um, but you run into the issue of uh, Rosenstein taking his place until they uh, approve somebody. And I have a feeling the Democrats in the Senate would uh, drag their heels as much as possible in approving someone. Uh, so Trump's got to work through a, a tough situation here with a lot of people coming after him and the attorney general not really uh, able to pro- provide much protection. Here he sure does. And on that note, uh, Michael, I want I want to thank you for coming on. I know you have to go. I know it's late thank where you, you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but thanks uh, a lot. My pleasure. Economics expert, public policy analysis writer for Townhall.com, Newsmax, Live Zet, and a professor of finance at the University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Butler. Thank you, sir. And anything you want thanks. to promote, go ahead. Uh, just if anybody wants to read what I say. Um, I have a, a page on Facebook, uh, so facebook.com forward slash funding democracy. The column is called Funding Democracy, the Economics of Freedom. So if you want to see what I uh, have to say, check on Facebook. And thanks for the giving me time for that. Absolutely. And uh, it's always a pleasure All right, having buddy. you on. Take we'll, care. We'll, we'll, we'll have you back on soon. Yeah, Take sir. care. Cheers. Great. Thanks. Very, uh, very great guest. Um, and I also want to uh, give Dan Perkins a shout out. He didn't get to get his plugs in. Uh, his his site is uh, danperkins.guru. That's danperkins.guru. Um, but obviously we just got Michael uh, Bustler's information, so if anybody wants to find him. Um, so we still have Tim on the line. We still have Valerie. We still have Josh. Um, Valerie, go ahead real quick, and then uh, then Tim, go ahead. I want to get your thoughts, though, Valerie. You want to hear my thoughts? Um, yeah. I, I think since I've been in Washington for the last 30 years, when I first got here, I, I don't believe anybody um, from one party to the other party wanted anyone to go to jail. But I, don't, I, don't, I do think they do now. I think the vitriol is so bad here that I think people would ha- be happy to see the other, their enemy, the person on the other side, go to jail. And I think that's what, you know, and, and I think in, within the Democrats, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to impeach Trump. They're trying to get rid of any Republicans that they can. And I'm sad to say it because when I worked with, with Reagan, with Ronald Reagan, you know, he and Tip O'Neill were complete opposites in every way. Tip O'Neill at that time was the uh, Speaker of the House, but they would go out for a beer. You know, they would still – they were friends afterward. It was just business, and now it's, it's way beyond that. So I'm, I'm sad to say it, but I, I disagree with the gentleman who said that nobody wants to see anybody go to jail. Um, and even if – and then also I wanted to say that um, – What's going on now, I think I think the Democratic Party is going to be in huge trouble, and I, I don't see Hillary Clinton going anywhere ever again. I think she's completely done, and I don't think the Democrats would want to do the same thing again. They made a mistake the first time. Why would they make the same mistake again? Um, and, but I also agree that they need somebody young. I mean, everybody that, that's the forerunners in the Democratic Party, they're all old guys. And or yeah. old women, and they need they need fresh faces. But this this uh, Miss Cortez from New York is not gonna not gonna be able to do it. So they're gonna have to search, and that's one of the reasons why I think the Republicans are gonna win is because we've got so many up and coming people that could handle all kinds of different jobs, um, and the Democrats really have nothing. 
So they need to start harvesting, you know, the young people. And lastly, I want to say that um, I forgot. (laughs) Um, What was the other issue we were talking about? Anyway, I don't want to take up any more of your time. But if anybody wants to read my stuff, it's um, backyardyeehaw.com. No, we still have 10 minutes left if you want to stay on. Oh, we do? Okay, we're much longer than usual than tonight. Um, yeah. I don't remember what the other issue was, but I'll think of it and I'll come back. Okay. Well, it's inter- an interesting, um, you know, poll came out today. And, Tim, I know I want to get your thoughts on this because you're – and, you know, you know about this stuff. And, and it's so it, – I was laughing my ass off, and it totally makes sense. Income equality – is much worse in the blue states than it is in the red states. And you see all of these lib you see all of these liberals marching in the streets because they claim inequality and, but they're they're the politicians are the ones that are causing the problems. Yeah, pollution is also much worse and the crime is much worse and they have more gun control laws but yet more uh more deaths by guns per capita. So I mean basically the exact model of everything we should not be doing. Uh, but I do agree with Josh that uh, I don't think they want each other to go to jail because I think they, a lot of them know where each other's bodies are buried. And I think that the Democrats have committed massive amount of crimes. The Republicans have, there's a lot of Republicans that have probably committed a massive amount of crimes. I mean, just look at guys like John McCain who, uh, basically helped fund ISIS along with Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, they're woven in each other's crimes, and so they don't want one person to go down because then all of a sudden their stuff can get exposed. And the reason their stuff can get exposed is because, uh, you know, there's a lot of Republicans who, you know, really think that we need all these big intelligence agencies and think that we need the NSA and think that we need to have all this spying and really have done nothing to rein in the power of groups like the NSA who are really at the heart of the deep state and you know it's really the civil libertarians like Rand Paul who've been and uh you know a few others who've been the only people that have railed against these groups who are obviously rogue at this point who can spy on anybody who can plant whatever they need to plant in anybody's computer who you know they know you know if you've been cheating on your spouse and they know if you've been cheating on taxes or they or they can plant stuff on you and you know that I think it was Chuck Schumer that said you know, told Obama or now sorry, told Trump to be careful because we because the intelligence agencies have you know can get you seven ways to Sunday and and I, I think that we, until you know we start reining in these agencies and start you know you know at, the, at this point the Fourth Amendment is completely dead and it's very hard to send people to jail when you've got a lot of dirt on yourself and you've got this omnipotent deep state that can surveil anybody who, even though they lie about it. I mean, Clapper, you know, was lying on record and Brennan, you know, have all, you know, basically perjured themselves under, under oath, but yet nothing happens and nothing happens because, you know, they are pretty much at the top of the deep state. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of neocons and Republicans that act like Democrats who've been fine going along to increase this, uh, this police state just in the name of, you know, national security when, you know, I, I think that the NSA is really only there to help blackmail politicians. I mean, what they're doing to Trump is absolutely criminal. I mean, I mean, I mean, what what they did to him is about you know a million times worse than what Nixon did. I mean, Nixon had attacks files on a a few hundred people, yeah. and yet you know Obama administration is spying on everybody, and nothing happens. Yeah. And, and look look at the new report that came out today that an Al Qaeda group funded by the Obama administration supported Bin Laden, 
Hamas and Afghan terrorists. Yeah, we were funding Al Nusra Front and the Free Syrian Army. And Mexican drug cartels with guns. And the Obama administration was giving the Mexican drug cartels guns. The HSBC was laundering the money, and Eric, uh, what's his name, Eric Holder, said that they were too big for jail. Yeah, and then they and they all you know when when they killed Brian Terry, the you know the head of DHS said you know we have a few eggs to scramble and you know that that stuff sort of happens and you know and you were, um, you, you, were no at the, you, you were at the Arpaio event with me last night. We his sister was there speaking, um, you know, in, in in honor of him and his sister and all the Angel families are endor- endorsing Joe Arpaio and uh, you you, we, you you met her right. No, I, I did. I saw her her talk though. Okay, but yeah, but keep going. What you were saying with the uh, scandal with the Fast and Furious? No, I mean it's just you know it's, it's like the like the you know they go after Trump for I mean the, he's on CNN today for you know asking someone to give him a coke please on the on yeah. the, the audio tapes that they release and, and yet that's news. I mean it's just ridiculous that you know Obama you know, pretty much got away with murder uh, and sometimes quite literally got away with murder. Yet, uh, you know, they're digging up everything they can possibly throw at Trump. But yet, you know, there's, you know, just pages and pages of stuff that the, that the uh, Obama regime did that everyone turned a blind eye on. There's, you know, probably at least 50 things I can name that I wrote an article on about, you know, crimes that Hillary's committed. Yet, you know, she still gets to walk around free. So in this country, we have selective enforcement of the laws. And there's a certain class of individuals who are above the laws. And, and really, if they want to nab somebody on something... Uh, you know, the average person just going about their day, it's been said, commits over three felonies a day. So, I mean, if they have this deep state, they can look at everything you're doing and they can get Trump on some sort of process crime or they can, you know, uh, you've got a justice department, justice system that, you know, will scare the bejesus out of somebody and say, hey, unless you cooperate, you know, we're going to put you behind bars for life. And then they get people to even make up stuff. So, I mean, Cohen might be making up stuff just so, you know, he ends up getting immunity and maybe says whatever he has to, has to say. So and, I think that's and, and, all I'd say about and that. You know and you, know you know what else is nuts is, you know, check this out with, with what happened with um, now Mueller is going through Trump's Twitter and trying to find stuff. I mean, that's how outrageous uh, this investigation has gone. I mean, we've been gone from porn stars to personal finances, to twi- tw- Twitter, seeing what's on Twitter. They, what are they going to find Democrats on making Twitter? up stories that Russian hookers are peeing on him. I mean, let's not forget that that was the, that yeah, was yeah, the, the first fake, lie the that got this P. started. Yep, the fake P dossier. Yep, I mean, it's all – I mean, the, 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 the FISA warrant that they should, should have never obtained, uh, it just goes on and on. I mean, they – this makes Jimmy. This makes um, Richard Nixon, Dick Nixon, look like an angel, um, to say the least. Um, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just to speak a little bit more on, you know, the, the what I said before about how I don't think they want to go to jail, and just to say, you know, Valerie, you've been in D.C. much, much, much longer than I have. Um, you know, I've been there. You I, I spent a little bit of time there for the last couple of years. Um, and Valerie's been there for, you know, much longer than I have. So she has a much better hold on the, the environment than I do, obviously. 
Um, so I, I, you know, I do value she worked, what you, she worked, you said. Value Valerie that. worked for Reagan, which I thought was very impressive. Go go ahead though, Josh. No, extremely impressive. But I, I guess the only thing, I guess a question, more of a question, Valerie, to to push back on you a little bit would be, if you think that these people want to see each other go to jail, which I do believe that there are many Democrats and want to see the Republicans go to jail, but I wouldn't say the other way around. But if that was the case, why wouldn't um, you know, Hillary have been prosecuted. Why isn't Stork in jail? Why isn't Comey being um, put in jail? You know, I, I feel like there's a lot of these people that have prime opportunities to be put behind bars, yet nothing happens. I think, well, all the people that you named is because the Republicans have to put them in jail, and we are less likely to do it than the Democrats would do it to us. And I, I wish we would get a little bit more chutzpah because it's not that I want people that. in jail. It's not that I want people in jail. It's that I want people to be accountable for what they do, because if they're not accountable, then there's more likely they're going to do more. People will do, you know, take the law into their hands and do whatever they want. And I think that we've got a lot of law, out, lawlessness out there, and I think it's totally unfair to Trump that we've got this investigation on nothing, for you know, and the taxpayers are paying for all of this, and and Trump has to handle, you know, has to figure out how to handle this, and. You know, these people have nothing, and it's time to be done with some of this stuff. Oh, that's now I remember what the thing was that I wanted to say before about Jeff Sessions. You know, if he yes. didn't recuse himself, we would be in a whole different ballgame. Um, right. The, the, the I, Russia I don't investigation know. would be over. Yeah. It, we wouldn't even be, yeah. It wouldn't even be a thing. Exactly. And I think that's a huge problem. You know, he's, he's known for being very, very honest. I don't know anything. You know, I don't know him. But you know, sometimes it's a little bit, you know, he, he tried too hard to please people. And you know, sometimes you just got to do, you know, read between the lines and do what you think is best. And I think he, he overdid it. You know, it's uh, it's a shame. But that's where we are. It is. It is, it is a damn shame. Um, Tim, you probably I just like people to be accountable. That's what I'm saying. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I want people to go to jail. I just think that Absolutely. if we don't make them accountable, then, then this is what Washington is. It's a bunch of, it's a mess. Tim, I'll give it I back agree, to you. Valerie, I agree. I'll give it back to you, Tim, for a second. Well, I mean, I think that uh, they, the Democrats, you know, want to put conservatives and libertarians in, in jail. So, you know, if they're actually here committing real crimes, uh, outrageous crimes, like funding al-Qaeda and running running guns and running drugs and and, and uh, all this money laundering that's going on to the Clinton Foundation and, you know, having Mueller actually be the one who delivered the test sample of uranium – and then they want to, you know, send Trump to jail over basically nothing and just, you know, go on this huge witch hunt. And, yeah, I think people like Hillary needs to at least have some sort of actual real trial and not, um, you know, this fake dog and pony show that was getting rolled out last year. And I'm just wondering what is Donald Trump doing keeping Sessions around? Less than a minute left, but keep going. No, I know. I, I agree. I, I, I mean, I I – I do not think Sessions – I think Sessions should have been gone a long time ago. I think he's a terrible choice. I think Judge – I think the person that needs to be in there is Judge Janine or uh, Rudy Giuliani or there's a few other – Trey Gowdy. Uh, there's, some, there's some ones that I would really want to put in there, and, and they would do business. They would do work, and I, and I believe they would prosecute. Uh, or a guy like Jim Jordan. I think I think Jim Jordan would go after uh, Comey, Hillary, 
you know, McCabe, some of these people. I, I just think there's there are those. I agree, and I think he's got more balls than uh, I think he's got more balls than Gowdy. Because I mean, Gowdy, you know, talks of a big game, but you know, nothing he ever does ever actually amounts to anything. And at the end of the day, right. Well, no, I, I, I agree. Gowdy, you know, Gowdy has talked before and, 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 you know, hasn't shown action, but he's also at times shown a lot of action and, and been very impressive. But I will say, you know, there has times he's let me down. Um, but, uh, you know, I do want to say, uh, speaking of, I mentioned Judge Janine a little bit ago, now she will be on the show uh, this Wednesday, this, this, actually next Wednesday, August 1st. Uh, at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I'm very excited to announce that. We will also be having Omar Navarro on next week, uh, the guy facing Maxine Waters in California. And we will also be having on next week the guy, the real Indian, who's who's uh, facing the fake Indian in Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and uh, I'm very, very excited uh, for these guests. Um, it's going to be a, a big show next week. A lot of guests. Big shows next he week. He also has the patent. On, he also has a patent on email. Four different degrees from MIT, and the guy is just brilliant. Yeah, the guy. Uh, the guy that's facing Elizabeth Warren. Um, and we actually will be doing a show tomorrow night. Um, I don't nor- normally do shows on Fridays, but uh, I think I will tomorrow night. So uh, I do want to announce that right now, um, <clears throat> as well as <clears throat> I will be bringing on some other big guests next week, and I will be announcing those over the weekend or early next week, who those are. Um, tomorrow we'll also have big guests like we always do. Um, but I do want to thank everybody for coming on. Uh, real quick, Tim, uh, in two seconds, promote whatever you got to promote, where they can find you. Find me at thelibertyadvisor.com. Uh, I'm a money manager, uh, financial advisor, and we do work a lot in self-directed IRAs where people can do more than just put typical stocks and bonds inside your retirement accounts. Perfect. Perfect. And Valerie, go ahead. Where you, they can find a new sure. book. Um, yeah, so my book is called Backyard Jihad. It's for parents and um, and their their children to understand what the jihad is and how they can avoid it. Uh, it's at backyardjihad.com. And you can buy it on Amazon.com. Perfect. Josh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and follow me on Instagram at J-O-S-H-H-L-A-V-A-T-Y. Excellent. And uh, everybody, uh, you can find me at RorySodder.tv. Also, uh, please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. Again, that's TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. Visit GetYourAppBuilt.com. Again, that's GetYourAppBuilt.com. We also have our brand-new media company coming out, uh, It's it, and we're very excited, the Next Gen USA. And uh, I, I know I keep announcing it. It's, there, it. There's just so much amazing things to it that all of you are going to highly appreciate. Uh, I want to thank my sponsors, my advertisers for tonight. I want to thank my audience. I want to thank my co-hosts. I want to thank my amazing guests. Uh, you guys have all been phenomenal. Um, and we will see you back here tomorrow night. God bless everybody. Cheers. Take care, Roy. Bye.